0: Well, my name is Pastor John, not to be confused with Pastor Jahun, with the H in his name. Um, there is no H in my name, and, uh, and so that's how we, we uh, clarify Is is he's got the Hebrew translation of his name, and I've got the American translation of our name, so... Um, and he has asked me uh, this morning to, to uh, wrap up uh, his message that he started a month ago and, uh, and, and bring it to a close and land a plane this morning from Colossians chapter 2. And life is busy, isn't it? I don't know about you, but maybe Sunday mornings are one of the busiest mornings as you look at 10 o'clock time approaching this, this morning. You had an extra hour of sleep, hopefully, an extra hour to prepare um, maybe for some of you with younger children, you didn't have that extra hour of sleep, uh, but uh, an extra hour of caring for them and getting them ready to be here this morning. But life is busy, and Pastor John Jahun is is really busy. And this last week, um, he was down in Mexico uh, with Hugo Ministries, uh, serving down there Monday through or Sunday night through Wednesday. Uh, and he is a very busy guy. And uh, as as I I am also busy, I, I know that um, my schedule fills up rather quickly, um, and, uh, and each week, it's, it's one of those things where you're planning one thing after another after another, and, and I've come to the point now of double, double booking to, to be more efficient. Uh, my wife and I had, had uh, a date night this last Friday night, but she had a, a booster club uh, dinner to be at, and I said, well, that's great. We can have free dinner and then go out afterwards and, and combine the two. We can go to both and it could be a date and, and it, was, it was excellent. But I don't know about you, but I know for me, I, I am really busy. Life tends to be busy, especially with kids, with the practices, the, the rehearsals, the tutoring, the practices for the practices, the, the games, everything that goes along with life. And it becomes overwhelming at times. And as we think about that busyness, as we think about, you know, just just everything that goes along with that, um, we come to a place this morning where we enter into God's Word, where we open up His Word, and we ask for Him to speak through His Word and enter into the busyness. enter into our lives that are filled with a lot of things. Some of them good, some of them not so good. I know that my life personally has been really busy and that testimony has been something that, that I am not always proud of. I had an experience with one of my neighbors this weekend, or the, the, this past week. And, uh, and she's moved in a couple months ago and we've gotten to know each other and. And uh, I've helped her with this, some, some different things and, and tried to be a good neighbor. And, and she asked me, she said, hey, John, what do you do? And I said, well, I'm a, I'm a pastor. She says, really? <laughs> and I went, y- y- yes? Uh, a- and she's like, oh, wow. She's like, I, I didn't know that. You- you just, you've been really busy. I know that. And I went, oh, my next door neighbor doesn't know. And I I kind of cringe when she said, really? And I think about our lives and our testimony and our response to what God has done for us. And this morning we're going to look at Colossians chapter 2, verses 12 through 15. And Pastor John has been setting us up. He's been setting us up talking about the church at Colossae. This church that had, had been dealing with different issues from empty philosophies that had come in, this idea of Gnosticism, this idea of knowledge and knowing more and, and, and things like that. And, and he sets up this foundation of who Jesus is as head of of the church, and this morning we're going to look at the gift that we receive. In the midst of our busyness, in the midst of our lives, we receive this gift as believers and followers of Jesus Christ, and I know that some of you here have not put your faith into Jesus Christ, and you're here checking it out. And I'm glad that you are here. I'm excited that you're here this morning. And I think this message is for you as well. Understanding what it is that followers of Jesus Christ are given and what we've been blessed with. I've been blessed with Pastor Appreciation. Um, This year, uh, there was a group of people that put together, unbeknownst to me, I have no idea, surprised me with uh, an iPad, and I'm very excited about it, and so I thought it'd be poignant to teach from it this morning, um, being the hip youth pastor. Um, but if you open with me in your Bibles or iPads or iPhones or whatever you'd like to Colossians chapter 2, and as a part of the tradition that, that Pastor John has brought is those standing up in honor of the reading of Scripture. I'd like for all of us to stand up. In the blue Bibles, in the, in the chairs, it's on page 834, And I'm reading from the New American Standard version. Colossians 2, verse 12. And we're going to go back a couple verses to the top of the paragraph in verse 9 and following. Verse 9 says this, For in Him, Jesus, all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form, and in Him you have been made complete, and He is the head over all rule and and authority. And in him you were also circumcised with the circumcision made without hands, in the removal of the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Verse 12. Having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised up with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. When you were dead in your transgressions and the uncircumcision of your flesh, He made you alive together with Him, having forgiven us all our transgressions, having canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us, which was hostile to us. And He has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. When He had disarmed the rulers and authorities, He made a public display of them, having triumphed over them through Him. Let's pray. Father God, this morning we come to you. We come to you with lives that are busy. Some with deep difficulties. Others with occasions of joy and thankfulness. God, no matter where we are at, Let us live differently for you. Let us walk in your spirit and in your truth. Be glorified in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. But as we come into our our knowing this place of life is busy, we come to this passage, and we come to a place where we say, our God is a big God and is conqueror over all of our sin and our lives should reflect that. Our God is big enough to conquer our sins, to handle our iniquities, our faults, and our response should be a big one as well. As followers of Christ, our lives Should look different. It should be full of life, for he has made us alive. And we come to a question. Why should our lives be different? Why should our lives be different? And I think Paul gives us a couple of points to answer that question. The first one is this, is that we were buried with him. In verse 12, the first portion, it says, having been buried with him in baptism. Baptism is a ritual, and as Pastor John's been explaining, is that this church has been indoctrinated with a belief that rituals are needed. That there's sacraments that need to be done from circumcision to knowing things, to special philosophies, to special ways of being able to understand who God is through these ways. And Paul comes and says, no. He says, it's not about all those empty, empty philosophies. It's about Jesus Christ and what he's done for us. And he says, you know what? But we, and I say we as saying those who have put their trust in Jesus Christ. We have all been buried with him in baptism. Baptism is a ritual. It's one of the, the rituals and the sacraments of the church that we do here at ABF. It's a deep belief that it is a symbol, an outward symbol, a public confession of an inward decision. When we are baptized, we're dying to ourselves. We're being buried with Christ. We're going down under the water, and we here at ABF, we dunk as a part of that. Because the word baptizo in Greek literally means to dunk or to immerse. Now as a child, I was sprinkled and baptized. But for me, that wasn't my decision as a baby. That was my parents' decision. When I was 19, I had the opportunity to go to Israel and to go tour the land of Israel and I actually was baptized in Israel and I have a picture of my baptism here. I look the same, I know. 1932. <laughs> it's alright. The puka shell necklace, yeah? You like that? But well, this is the Jordan River in Israel. And I had an opportunity at this point to make a public declaration that I was dying to myself and my desires that I was putting away the old life and the sin and I was going to live differently. Pastor Larry DeWitt baptized me. Pastor Gordy Duncan is up there and some of you know these men of faith, these pastors. I have this picture on my bookshelf, on my wall now actually, to remind me of this decision to be buried, to die to myself with Christ. But God doesn't leave us in this burial mode of death and decay and destruction and giving up that stuff. Verse 12b says this, in which you were also raised up with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. You see, when we come out of the water, when we come up out of baptism, it's a symbol that we are living a life for him and for him alone and in service to him. He gives us that life. He gives us That new way of living. It's through Him and through faith in the working of God. That phrase, working of God, literally means the energy of God. The Greek word there is where we get the word energy from the energy of God. As we come up out of the water in baptism, We are literally connecting ourselves, plugging ourselves into the socket of God and saying, I am living by your means and your means only. Now, for many of us in here, you're like me, and we've grown up in the church. We've been a part of the church since birth or before birth. And for us to read a passage talking about having been buried with him in baptism in which you were also raised up with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead, you go, but I, I don't understand. I didn't have a past. I wasn't a, a drug dealer or someone that was really bad or a murderer. And you come to a place and you read something like this and you go, baptism, okay? I'm living for him. I, I. And often I, I encounter students that have grown up in the church. And they go, I don't have a testimony. I don't have something to share. I don't have a story because I've always been a Christian. And I accepted Christ when I was 3 years old or 4 years old or 5 or 6. I didn't really do anything wrong. I wasn't one of those kids that, you know, back, you know, back talked to my mom. Started cussing when I was really young, and then all of a sudden I found Jesus and changed my elementary school years. You know? I became a pastor at seven years old. And I had a little soapbox and stood on it at recess and shared the gospel with my classmates around a cup of noodles. Right? We don't have those stories. And they go, I don't have a story. And the thing I challenge them with is that no matter how long you've known him, no matter when it was that you accepted Christ as this public declaration in baptism, you're saying, I am not living to myself and what I desire, but I am living for Christ and for him alone. There are times even in marriage we we struggle with this idea of wanting to live for ourselves. The USC football game was on yesterday. It was on at 4 p.m. My family wanted to go play at the park at around 3 p.m. (laughs) The dilemma. (laughs) Now, living for myself... Amber, my wife, kids, go to the park. I'll be in this chair watching this game in an hour. But I realized, you know what? That's what we have DVR for, right? (laughs) And at the same time, I had to put my needs, my desires, my needs, it's not really a need, my desires aside. My daughter is six years old. We're a third of the way through parenting her until so she's 18 and off living on her own. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you laugh. I have 12 years left. I may have messed up the first six, but I'm going to make these next 12 amazing. And it's putting our desires each and every day going, God, what do you want from me? What do you want from me? Do you want me to go share to my next door neighbor? Do you want me to go across the street and introduce myself? Do you want me to give a word of encouragement to the barista at Starbucks? See, the amazing thing is I get to wake up every morning going, God, what do you want from me? What's your plan, your desire? Because I have been buried to my old self and I give it up. And I'm now plugged into your energy and your power and what you want for me. Paul goes on to describe it a different way. In verse 13, he begins and says this, When you were dead, in your transgressions and the uncircumcision of your flesh. That idea of death and dying. For many years, I've been a chaplain for the Ventura County Fire Department. Many of you didn't know that. It's kind of been my service to the community. It's outside my hours here. And... Needless to say, I, as chaplain, don't always get called to the rescuing the kitty out of the tree calls. When they're calling a chaplain, it's usually because someone's passed away, and it hasn't been a good one. And I come in to care for the family. And many times, the fire department is left, and the body is still there wherever that person passed away. Now I usually try to find a different room to be with the family, but there's something about death and finality. This person that's lying here can't do anything for themselves. They can't do anything for others, they're dead. They are no longer here. Their body remains. And as I meet with the family, we reflect on the memories that we hold dear and help them process the grief of losing someone and the finality of it. And Paul uses this language saying, we were dead in our transgressions and in our selfish nature in what we wanted to do. We couldn't do anything. We were wrapped up and bound. We couldn't do anything. You see, there is a finality. One of the things, I, and, and, and this isn't a jo- joking matter, but it becomes kind of funny in the sense of when I'm on the scene And there is a body laying there that's covered by a blanket or sheet. My fear is that that person's gonna sit back up and start talking. I mean, I honestly don't know what I would do if that happened. And there was actually, I don't know if you read this news article about 10 days ago, in Brazil, they were holding a funeral for a guy that supposedly was shot. He worked at a car wash and he was shot. And they were holding a funeral for him, and his body was in the casket up front. And the guy whose funeral it was walks in from the back, starts talking with his family members. Some of them fainted, some of them freaked out, and I want to read this article to you. (laughs) It's crazy. I've never read anything like this. But the family of a Brazilian man, 41, were shocked and some fainted when he walked into his own funeral. The bizarre case of mistaken identity occurred last Sunday when Jose Marcos Arahu heard news circulating in the town that a car washer had been shot dead and his body was at the morgue. He assumed it was his brother, Jose. Police called my husband and told him that his brother had been killed and his body was at the morgue. Jose Marcos' wife, Ana Paula, told the UOL Internet News Portal. According to police, the two men resembled each other and both were car washers. A few hours before the Monday burial, a friend of Gilberto's saw him walking down the street and told him that his family was mourning him. He then rushed to his wake to explain the mix-up, and according to reports, some people passed out while others ran away. (laughs) Obvious. Gilberto's mother, Marina Santana, said, I am overjoyed. What mother wouldn't be after being told that her son is dead and then sees him alive. You see, we were dead in our sins. Romans 5.8 says this, but God demonstrates his own love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. But he doesn't leave us in this state of, of death. Verse 13, When you were dead in your transgressions and the uncircumcision of your flesh, He made you alive together with Him, having forgiven us all our transgressions, having canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us, which was hostile to us, and He has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. We were dead in our sins, but we were forgiven by him. This is the amazing story of grace, is that even in the midst of our filth and our sin, Christ died for us and forgave us of all of our sins, wiped out everything that was owed through his death. You see, even up until this time when Jesus died on the cross, our sins hadn't been forgiven. They were covered by the blood, but they were not forgiven. Old Testament sacrifices of sacrificing bulls and rams and the Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, and going in and making all these different sacrifices for the people covered their sin, but it was not forgiven completely until Jesus, the perfect sacrifice, died on the cross for you and for me. Not leaving us in a state of death, but giving us life a new life. In John chapter 11, Jesus goes to his friend Lazarus' tomb. And he tells the sisters, hey, Mary, Martha, roll away the stone. They tell Jesus, Jesus, he's been dead four days. He's going to smell. Roll it away. And he calls out to Lazarus and says, Lazarus! Come out. And John 11 describes it that he came out and he was bound head to toe in grave clothes. And Jesus' response isn't, okay, go live a new life. Keep those grave clothes on. His response is, unbind him. Get those clothes off. You see, as believers, when we put our trust in Jesus Christ, our grave clothes, that death, is gone. It's taken off of us. We have a new life, living differently, not holding on to that junk, that other stuff that's been holding on, but we live differently. We live following Him. Because not only has He forgiven us, but our debt that was owed has been canceled. It's been wiped away. I was thinking about debt, and, and many of you know I, I, I don't like debt, and, and I, my wife and I have recently gotten out of debt except for our mortgage, and I was thinking about this idea of the debt that we owe to God, and thinking about the biggest debt we could owe, and for most of us, it's our mortgage if we've bought a house. It's a pretty big debt, that we are reminded of every month when we pay our mortgage. And we notice that more of it is going to interest than it is to the principal, but we keep doing it. And this last year, my parents paid off their mortgage. And so I asked for their little deed and their, their conveyance of payment, full reconveyance. And my mom even printed out a little sheet that says mortgage on it. And I thought about this debt that they have owed and paid on for 30 years, refinancing, readjusting the terms, the time amount, paying off more, sending extra payments, and the hard work that they have done over the last 30 years to pay this off. And I thought about that. And it says this. It says, TD Service Company, as present trustee under that certain deed of trust dated 5-1-2004 and executed by Rockford F. Nungester, yes, that's his name, Rockford, and Janet Lee Nungester as truster and recorded as instrument or document number, blah, 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 of the official records in the Office of the County Recorder of Los Angeles County have been requested in writing by the holder of the obligations secured by said deed of trust to reconvey the estate granted to trustee under said deed of trust, does hereby reconvey to the person or persons legally entitled thereto. They now own their house. The debt has been paid. It's a pretty big debt. But they have had to work at it for 30 years to scrimp and to save and to pay it off And I think about my own mortgage. And I think about 30 years from now trying to pay that off. And all the hard work. You see, what Jesus did for us is it wasn't our own work. It wasn't anything we did. My parents worked very hard. But no matter what you and I do, we can't work hard enough to pay off the debt that we owe to God. It's like someone coming to me after church today and saying, John, you know what you owe on your mortgage, you owe three hundred plus thousand dollars. I'd like to write you a check for that and pay it off. You haven't done anything to deserve it. But here's a check. We'll pay it off. We'll take care of that debt. I mean, I'd be really excited. And if you want to do that, I'm okay with that. But that's what Jesus did for us by canceling our debt. He paid and he was the only one to be able to pay it. No one else could pay it. You and I on our own cannot pay it. Only through his death on the cross can he pay it for us. A couple of key theological issues come up with this when we're forgiven of our sin. When it says that we have been forgiven and it has been wiped away, one of the questions I often get asked is, John, after I become a Christian, what happens if I mess up and I sin? What about my future sins? Did Jesus die for those? And my response is, yes. He paid the price for our sins in the past, in the present, and in the future. Does he want us to keep those grave clothes on? No. He wants us to be unbound from them and to live a life different and by his power and his power alone. The other theological issue that comes up it says okay well if we've been forgiven and it's by God's grace that we've been forgiven should i go out and sin more so that God's grace can be even more in my life <laughs> for many of us we chuckle and we go that's absurd but there is an actual christian belief in some churches that believe that God's power is made more by us sinning more. And my friends, it's a heresy and it's a lie. Romans 6, 1 and 2, Paul asks the question and says, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin so that grace may increase? May it never be. How shall we who died to sin Still live in it. Friends, the grave clothes have been taken off. We need to get rid of them. For me, this is, a, this is an important one. For me, even though I'm a pastor, and this might be a huge shock, I'm not perfect. I know. It's okay. I'm confessing. I deal with issues of sin. I'm working on it. I'm being sanctified day in and day out and ridding myself because our God is a big God and has conquered my sin and told me to no longer live bound by the sin of this world. That he paid for it for you and for me. I should no longer live in it. He continues on to describe this conquering, not only on the cross, but he says this. Verse 15, when he had disarmed the rulers and authorities, he made a public display of them, having triumphed over them through him. I love this verse. If any of you have seen Aladdin, I think about that, that, that moment when Prince Ali is coming into town and they have this big dance. He's riding on the elephant. And there's this big old parade and things like that coming through town, ready to go. And I love how he describes that. He's taken the power. He's disarmed the principalities and powers. He's completely taken away their weapons. He's wiped them out. As many of you know, we have an airsoft ministry at this church. And I love playing airsoft. And at this last game, which was a couple weeks ago, I I got a little more bold than normal. I wanted to be more aggressive. And there's a, a thing, when you come up to a person from the opposing team and you catch them by surprise, you ask for their surrender. And they have a choice to surrender to you or not. And if they choose not to, You shoot them, right? (laughs) You shoot them in Jesus' name, of course, but you shoot them nonetheless. And this, my friends, is my airsoft gun. It's pretty realistic, but it's got the orange tip, so you know it's fake. Well, it's an airsoft gun. But I decided to be a little more aggressive, and we're out here on this, on this grass area, and there were some opponents hidden in these bushes along here. Huh? Mighty warriors, <laughs> entrenched in the bushes. Twelve-year-olds. They have guns too, you know. And so I come around the youth room, and I see our team is bunkered down in the on the, the wanna circle in the little knoll right there, and no one's moving ahead. I'm going all right. Let's do this. All right, so I get behind a tree, and I can yell into my guys, hey, guys, on the count of three, I'm going to run to the bushes. And once I get past you, then you shoot and light up the bushes. Don't shoot before, because I don't want to get hit by you, because it's going to really hurt. But aim for the bushes and keep them down, and I'm going to go make them surrender. So I'm one, two, three, and I go running to the bushes. And there are three kids in the bushes right right on the edge down there. And I come up, and they didn't see me, and I yell, "Surrender, surrender!" And one of them turns and surrenders. The other two turn with their guns pointed at me, and so I am above them. They are down on the ground in the bushes. Twelve-year-old? No, they were older. Name at you. Um, I unload upon them and force their surrender, disarming them, taking away their ability to be in the game any longer. doesn't matter their age. (laughs) And I think about this. Jesus, for you and for me, disarmed the accuser, took away the power of Satan, and many of us come here this morning with guilt upon our shoulders of things we've done in the past, of the things that we might currently be doing, currently thinking, that no one else knows about. And my encouragement to you this morning is that Jesus has disarmed and taken away the power of Satan. And he is victorious over them. And he gives them a public show on the cross. He gave it a public show and parades them down the street. People in my generation don't understand what a wartime parade is like. We haven't seen it, we haven't experienced the ticker tape parade, those soldiers coming back from World War II. The only analogy that I can think of is the parade they had this last week in San Francisco. Easy, easy. (laughs) You're still living in Southern California. The Giants had a parade, shut down the streets, walked through and and enjoyed the applause of everyone after winning the World Series. But (laughs) the way that Jesus is described here as the conquering war hero is if the Giants not only did they parade, but in front of them, they brought with them the Detroit Tigers and said, we want you to go ahead of us so that all of our fans can ridicule and boo you and tell you how bad you are because you got swept in the stinking World Series by the giants. And this is the parade that Jesus is holding and saying, I've conquered Satan and I'm parading him out like the Romans would do with their captives, with their spoils, they would bring it back and they would have the people that they've conquered walk in front of them as if this is what we have done. We have conquered these people and they are now our slaves. You see, our God is a big God and is a conqueror over our sin and our response is, needs to be a big one. Our response That we are alive in Christ. And we need to be living differently for Him. One of the responses that we have comes in the form of remembering what He did on the cross for us. In churches, another sacrament is the Lord's table the taking of communion. Because we've entered into a new covenant as believers, one that is only given to us by the breaking of His body and the shedding of His blood for us. But as we enter this response time, I would be remiss in not saying That communion is for believers of Jesus Christ. And if you are not, if you have not put your faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior to wipe away your sins, to take away that bondage, my challenge for you is that this would be your morning. That this would be the moment in time where you say, God, I've messed up. I owe a debt to you that I cannot pay on my own. It is only by your power and your blood and sacrifice on the cross that my sins are forgiven. And God, because of that sacrifice, because of that payment being made, that conquering war hero leads me in a parade of life. A new life that's powered by Him and Him alone. God, I give up my past But my present, and I give you my future to live for you and you alone. For others of you here, for you who are believers, Scripture says that we need to check our hearts before we take communion. If there is something you've been dealing with some unconfessed sin a grievance against another person scripture says take care of that give it up and then remember and make that your response thanking him for that sacrifice for that payment We're going to sing a song as the elements are being passed out by our elders. And this is a time of reflection for you. In the middle of the song, I'll come back up and we're going to take the elements together. But take these few moments and reflect. See if there's anything that you need to get rid of. If you need prayer, If you made a decision for Christ today, I'd love to meet with you up at the front and pray with you. But let's take communion today as a response to Him. Our God's a big God, amen? conquered our sin. As a conquering war hero, Second Corinthians tells us another response that we should give. And it says this, but thanks be to God who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession As We thank God this morning. We sing this song and we leave this place. May we be a fragrance and live a life differently because of what God has done for us. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, He took the bread with His best friends Men that he had taught, he had lived life with, he knew his death was coming. And he looks at his friends and he says, This is my body broken for you. Whenever you eat of it, do it in remembrance of me. Let's remember him this morning. same way Jesus took the cup. He said, you've lived under a covenant. You've lived under an agreement where your sins have just been covered. Soon, there will be a new covenant in my blood, shed for you, for the eternal forgiveness of your sins let's thank Jesus for that new covenant
1: in Jesus name he is risen indeed we only usually say that at Easter but today we're reminded from the scriptures and from the message and from the communion that we are alive in Christ, amen amen So today, as your fellowship moves outside onto the patio, and as our students go to their small groups, and people greet Patricia, and you talk and pray, remember that you are not your own. Thank you, John. I don't think I'll ever read that passage again, and when I see disarmed, disarmed, you brought it alive to us today. Thank you, Pastor John. Let's lift up his name as we leave. And now unto him who is alive who has rescued us who has conquered us from the grave he is risen indeed and now unto him be all the glory and power and majesty and dominion now and forevermore amen amen